Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store custom closet sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is the post-Thanksgiving installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Hopefully everybody had a happy, happy Thanksgiving, particularly uh, those of you that didn't have to work. Some of us, uh, again, it's a labor of love. Uh, I know I was in Orlando calling the Avocare Invitational. Uh, but JC, uh, you like most people got a chance to enjoy the holidays, watch a lot of college football. And that's what we're going to talk about first is what happened over this past weekend. Look ahead to uh, championship Saturday, although I hate using that term because it's <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of a non plus weekend outside of the SEC championship game. Uh, that's always the, the topic of a lot of discussion. But uh, talk about that. And also some hot news of the day as we record this, we've already got one coaching change that is going to take place and as always this time of year rumors that we might have some more but happy uh, post thanksgiving to you jc uh thank you mike it was a uh, actually a, a heck of a weekend of college football in my opinion um you know n- besides the ohio state michigan game which i know we're going to get into later um i uh, i thought most of the games there were there were no big surprises uh I thought there were a lot of interesting games that went back and forth, though. Virginia, Virginia Tech uh, was one of them. Um, uh, I felt bad for the kids at Washington State losing in that snowstorm after all they've been through, but Washington with a nice win uh, out that way. Uh, Notre Dame played like Notre Dame has played most of the time. Um, you know, and then that Texas A&M-LSU game certainly was – was one for the ages. The national media will love that because 146 points were scored in seven overtimes. 74-72 was that final. Um, but yeah, overall, it was a it was an entertaining weekend of college football, and um, I don't really know that, that this coming weekend is going to match it. But uh, we'll, we'll at least have some some uh, some, some final uh, playoff positions and bowl bursts nailed down. Um, for sure after this weekend. And, and one thing I will say is that with the loss by Michigan, you now have a situation where there is going to be debate, uh, most likely, with that number four spot, uh, even if everything kind of holds true to form. So, you know, nothing wrong with that. We've been sitting around all year going, hey, this is going to be boring, but there is going to be some debate, it looks like, uh, for that final spot. There certainly is. Um I was on a couple of talk shows this week, and I, I think I maybe surprised the various uh, hosts from my viewpoint on it. Um, and again, we'll get deeper and deeper into this in a moment. But I, I really think if you want to just do this based on merit, you know, and, and and the number four slot is the one slot that typically causes a controversy. I can't remember the last time the number one, two, or three slot really had much drama at all. Uh, but we, we certainly are on a collision course to have a who's in, who's out big 10 champ 
Big 12 champ. That's assuming, of course, Alabama beats Georgia. Um, that's assuming Clemson has no problem with Pitt. Uh, we already know Notre Dame is in the clubhouse. They've got nothing more to do, and they will be in. Um, and that's assuming that you know Ohio State doesn't get upended by Northwestern. If all that happens, we have comparable resumes. And I would take Ohio State over Oklahoma. Ooh. Yes, I would take Ohio State over Oklahoma because I simply think Ohio State is a better team. Uh, everybody has uh, dogged Ohio State at times this year, and justifiably so. But when they put it together, as they did on Saturday against Michigan, uh, Haskins, by the way, hmm. is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. He's not going to win it. Uh, but I know one thing, he'll probably be on my ballot. I get to pick three, put three names on it. And, of course, Kyler Murray will be on there, too. But I just don't think Oklahoma can play a lick of defense even on their best day. I think Ohio State can play some defense on their best day. And I just think Ohio State's a better team overall. I, I know TCU didn't pan out, but they did schedule that game. They did go out of their way to schedule a road game at TCU early in the season when most teams do not want to play Gary Patterson in that situation. Um, so regardless of where they are now, and I realize it would take a leapfrog situation, let's just say Ohio State wins by 10 over Northwestern and Oklahoma wins by 10 over Texas, my vote, and I'm not one of the 13 people in that room, my vote would go to Ohio State because I think they're the better team. I think they have a slightly better resume. And you know what? When it comes right down to it, I think Ohio State has the best chance of beating Alabama, not Oklahoma. Now, I don't know if either one of them are going to do it, and neither one of them might not even get out of the semis. But I'm just telling you, that's, that's what I, that would be my logic. How the committee sees it, I don't know. I still think there is a, a, such an anti-urban sentiment out there that I do think that will play into the minds of at least a couple of those 13 people. Mm. Uh, we are dealing with human beings. We are not dealing with computers anymore. And if it's close, I think a lot of people would love to see Ohio State out and not in. But that, to me, doesn't make it right. This is not a uh, an ethics award. This is a who's the better team and most deserving team award. And look, this is not a knock on Oklahoma. I think I think it's eyelash, eyelash close. I'm just saying that's who I would take. And I'll say one more thing. If that happens, you folks that want to get an 18 playoff, this is the best thing that could happen. Because Notre Dame is going to take out one Power 5 conference. And if Ohio State gets in over, the, over Oklahoma and the Big 12, it'll be three times in five years of this thing that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 have been left in the cold. Not exactly an inclusive deal. And I just think at some point, Pac-12 has got a whole lot of issues. They can't get their TV situation right. They, uh, they're, they're, there's some stuff going on over there that they really got to take a look under the microscope and maybe perhaps try a different strategy on a number of different fronts. But the Big 12, they don't want to expand. We, we already saw that. And here, that, that would be three times in five years. So I think this could be a landmark decision, not just for this year, but those two leagues are going to be incredibly upset. And a lot of people, there's already such a push. Why don't we just go to eight? 
a lot of things have to happen logistically for that to happen where it's not going to happen in the next couple of years. But I think that would get some pretty good momentum to go that direction. All right. So I'm going to disagree with you. Um, won't, we won't be the first on a this a little one. bit. Um, I, I would say, and I do not disagree with you that Ohio state is a better football team than Oklahoma. Um, and they played the last two years. I mean, they played last year in Columbus and Oklahoma won. Um, and then they played two years ago uh, in Norman and Ohio State won handedly. I think this year's Ohio State team, it may be a similar score to that Michigan game, but I think they would they would beat Oklahoma. Uh, I watched Oklahoma's defense against West Virginia for a long time the other night, and boy, they're bad. They're, they, they're, they're lost. They, they, they don't know what they're doing. There's not even a whole lot of talent on that side of the ball. Um, West Virginia made them look silly at times. Uh, of course, West Virginia didn't play much defense either, although, in fairness to the Mountaineers, they have a lot of injuries on that side of the ball. Um, just looked, you know, it didn't look like that was the University of Oklahoma playing defense. But, but here's my thing. Look, and you use Notre Dame as an example. Notre Dame is undefeated, okay? No conference, no conference championship. But there, they won every single game. Um, and they play a Power 5 schedule, even though they are not in a Power 5 conference. Uh, I think if we were talking about a bunch of undefeateds, they would probably be in some trouble because you know how they scheduled those five ACC games every year a few years ago? That helped mm-hmm. them none this season. No. Because winning at Virginia Tech and, and beating Florida State like a drum, that didn't help them at all uh, because the ACC is terrible. Top, I mean, I don't want to say top to bottom, but two through 14, it's a bad league, okay? So Notre Dame really, you know, had some games this year. Pitt, Northwestern, they come to mind. I know those are division champions. Um, the, the SC game this past weekend where they had to rally, uh, Vanderbilt, Ball State, you know, they had some games where, you know, it, it was hanging in the balance, but they won, and they're in. And so here's the thing. Going undefeated still means something in college football, regardless of the, the eyeball test and the optics and, and things like that. So if you look at Oklahoma, Mike, they've got one loss, and that's to Texas on a neutral field by three. If they come back and beat Texas – even if they, you, you say, by 10 on a neutral field and win a conference championship, I think that, that kind of erases their one loss because, you, yeah, you lost to a team that you went on and beat for a conference title, uh, sort of like Georgia last year against Auburn. I think it erases it, and, and I think at that point you have to put them in because then you're comparing losses because you got two one-loss conference champions, and you go, well, you know, let's look at this. Where are the losses? And again, getting slaughtered to a team that's a couple of touchdown underdog on the road, I think it's going to come back and bite Ohio State. They lost 49 to 20 at Purdue. Purdue, seven and five football team, six and six football team, six and six. I mean, we love Jeff Brom. He may get the Louisville job. I think he's a heck of a coach. He's done a great job. But Purdue was a six and six football team. Just like Iowa last year beat them 55-24 in Iowa City, that cost them, even with the conference championship. So I think that, that when you look at it, and, and you, with the given that going undefeated still matters, with the given that your one loss still matters, 
you know, I'd have to give it to Oklahoma. Do I agree with you that Ohio State is the better football team? Absolutely. I think Ohio State roster-wise has one of the best rosters in the country. And and I think that had they not had some of these games like Maryland, 52-51, or Nebraska, which wasn't that good, they beat them by five, squeaked by them. Um, If you hadn't had some games like that, then I think the 20-point the win over Michigan State, 23 over Michigan, one-point win at Happy Valley, win at TCU, I think all that comes into play. Um, but, but you're basically comparing a team with, with a bad loss um, and a conference championship and some very questionable games defensively uh, against a team with a decent loss who avenged it in their conference championship game who, like Ohio State, statistically can't play a lick of defense. I mean, you get, they gave up 40 points and 200-something and rushing yards to Kansas, the Jayhawks. <laughs> you know, Les Miles loved that. But it, it, it just, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, because of kind of what college football is, that matters. Now, if they do it because they don't like Urban Meyer, then you need to throw the whole thing out because that's garbage and that's politics, and, and that, has, that really has nothing to do with with the with with who with those kids and those players and those coaches and who belongs in the playoff the playoff is about the four best teams you know if there's an issue off the field to where a team should not be allowed to compete then the NCAA will handle that not the college football playoff committee so if that comes into play at all i, I think that's garbage but i think what's going to get them at the end of the day uh, is a 29-point loss at Purdue versus a three-point loss to Texas that Oklahoma sort of uh, avenged in their conference title game. I, I don't think either one of them um, is getting past the first round, regardless of if it's Clemson or if it's Alabama. I, I think with Clemson, obviously after watching the game this past weekend, if, if you're either one of those teams, you're thinking, wow, you can – really do some things against that secondary. But I don't think either one of these teams uh, is as good as a Clemson or an Alabama, uh, and I think it'll play out that way in the semis. But, um, you know, what I think they will do is go with Oklahoma. um, And, uh, you know, I don't think necessarily the Sooners are the better team. I just think that's kind of how the logic will go. Don't disagree with with your logic at all, and I can't argue that the loss to Purdue is worse than a loss to Texas on a neutral field. I, I would just say this. I think the wins are better for Ohio state. You're talking about a team that had to go at Penn state when Penn state was ranked ninth in the country. And that was a hell of a game. That's actually one of the best games of the year. Mm-hmm. They won at 27, 26. They go at Michigan state. They were ranked 18th at the time. They went at 26 to six. And then Michigan, when everybody and their grandmother, including me was convinced this was the year Michigan finally breaks through uh, and Jim Harbaugh has it rolling and that defense is supposed to be the best in the country. And they finally got a quarterback in Shea Patterson and Ohio state boat raced them 62 39 beating the number four team in the country. And Oh, by the way, Northwestern, I know everybody is kind of laughing at these championship game matchups and in some cases justifiably. So <clears throat> Pitt. Um, but if you beat Northwest, Northwestern's a quality team. They're very well coached. They pull off upsets every year and they're nationally ranked. So that only helps their cause. I just think the big 10 is a better league. They got better wins. And so to me, that leapfrogs them over the top. 
And that, that game against Michigan had every eyeball is one of the highest rated games of the year. And a lot of people, quite frankly, thought Ohio state was finally going down and they didn't. And clearly it is a team that for whatever reason uh, figured out, okay, we got to We got to put it together. And I don't think all of a sudden there's going to be a big letdown on Saturday against Northwestern. And I don't think obviously in a play, if you're not motivated to play in a college football playoff, you got to check your ticker. So I, I, to me, if I'm on that committee, I'm voting Ohio state. I don't know if that's how it's going to go. You, you can't, I mean, urban Meyer right now is really one of the most hated college football coaches I can remember. And it has nothing to do with the fact, like, like, like some people hate Saban just because he wins all the time. Some people hated Spurrier when he was at Florida because he talked some smack. Uh, some people hated, uh, I mean, going back way back in the day, Barry Switzer. Some people didn't like, he kind of rubbed people the wrong way. This is a different deal with Urban. They just think he's a bad human being. And that, again, third, we're talking human beings with a brain and a conscience um, wouldn't be shocked if that hurt him a little bit, but if you can block that out, I have a feeling Ohio state, especially if they take care of business, get some style points if you can against Northwestern. And if Texas can keep it close against Oklahoma, don't be surprised if Ohio state leapfrogs Oklahoma. Now, the only other question that could possibly cause some controversy here, of course, is if Georgia and I, let's all assume Clemson's beating Pitt. I mean, it, you, you, <laughs> do you even want to offer a, th- a theory that Pitt might be Clemson? No, there's no there, no plausible theory. Pittsburgh's okay. Pitt's a seven and five football team that wasn't really all that competitive against Miami this weekend. I think right. I think they did a great job winning that division. Credit Narduzzi, but I don't think they're very good. And I think Clemson's already talking about the fact that with their senior class, the only game they lost at home was to Pitt two years ago. So it's a mm-hmm. revenge game on top of that in Charlotte. I, I just don't think there's any way. Right. Okay. Agreed. And and Utah, Washington's a moot point because you got two, three lost teams in the Pac-12. Yeah. Once again, the Pac-12 will be watching uh, the playoff from home. Although I will say for Utah, if they were to pull that win, which I don't mm-hmm. know that they will, and they go to the Rose Bowl. I think that's a great accomplishment for that for Kyle oh, Whittingham totally. in that program. And um, I, I think Whittingham. I mean, I've said this a number of times. I think he's one of the best coaches in college football. Yeah, I, I, that that is not an easy job, Mm-mm. and he's done a remarkable job with it. I, if he was somewhere else, he would get a lot more attention uh, for being one of the better coaches in college football. But it, it's Utah. It's Salt Lake City. We don't we don't see a lot of them. We don't hear a lot of them. Um, so unfortunately he, he gets kind of lost in it and the Pac twelve as a whole gets lost in it for, for obvious reasons. So here we have Alabama, Georgia. And by the way, Alabama, thirteen and a half point favorite. That line has not moved. It is just stuck at thirteen and a half. Hmm. And that's not to say that there are not a lot of people that are given Georgia a shot in this game, and I'm one of them. Not, I would never pick against Alabama in this situation this year. But Georgia's one of the few teams I've felt just like last year. I'll say it again this year. Very few teams that actually have a chance to beat Alabama. And I believe there I believe there are three right now. I believe it is Clemson, it is Ohio State, hmm. and it is Georgia. Not Oklahoma, not Notre Dame. That's just me talking. So I if if a lot of things have to go right here. 
but and, and Georgia's defense is not the one that we saw last year, but they have played better of late. Jake Fromm, you know, got into a little bit of a tailspin there. He's playing better. Their backs are good. Their line is good. Their receivers are good. And they've been there. And they just, they're not going to be in awe of the moment. That's, that's not, this is not Mark Rick's Georgia anymore. This is Kirby's Georgia. It's a little bit different. So I give them a chance. If Georgia wins it, now we got chaos. Okay. I mean, even Ohio State over Oklahoma, Oklahoma over Ohio State, I don't think that's chaotic. I mean, yeah, someone's going to be unhappy, but, you know, that, <laughs> that's part of it. But this could cause some chaos. Now do you take an Alabama team that just lost and put them in? Uh, th- I think that's where the committee is going to be. There's going to be a lot of uh, tension in the room, and you're not going to want to know what to do and so on and so forth. I'll tell you what I think. If Alabama loses a close game, I don't know how you keep them out. I don't know how you keep them out, and I know it's going to just aggravate everybody outside of SEC country to no end, and they're going to claim conspiracies, and they're going to claim SEC bias, Alabama bias, Alabama fatigue, all just kind of converging into one big pile of you-know-what. But I think if you base it on record resume eye test and everything else they lose a close game to georgia i got news for you i think you're gonna have two sec teams in again with notre dame and clemson which means how many power five conferences are left out jc three Mm. three out of the five now if you really want an 18 playoff have that scenario take fold because you're going to have a lot of pissed off people that are very powerful in college football yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, all right, so you look look at the Alabama and Georgia, and I've thought this since Saban kind of got to Alabama, and um, Saban, of course, replaced Mike Shula. Mike Shula recruited pretty well and left, left some good players there for Saban, to be quite honest. But his recruiting plan was different. They didn't. They rarely went into the state of Georgia and, and tried to challenge Auburn or, or Georgia and Mark Richt or – uh, a lot of those uh, coaches, even Georgia Tech, had a few good recruits out of Georgia during that time. And Bama just was not existent in this state recruiting. Well, Saban changed that. And what I, I started calling it was it was almost like college football's Cold War or a proxy war because these two teams really don't like each other. These two programs really sort of, especially on Georgia's end, they're always comparing themselves to Alabama, but they never play. I mean, they rarely play. Saban, here's Saban against Georgia. And it's interesting because they have only met one time outside of the state of Georgia. They met five during Saban's era. They've only met once outside of Georgia. That was Saban's first year. And that team, by the way, um, lost to uh, Louisiana Monroe at home. Um, Georgia Stafford threw a pass, I think, to Mikey Henderson late. Georgia won in overtime 26-23, which was the exact overtime score of last year's championship game. Since then, the next year they come to Athens, there's a blackout. I think Georgia's ranked fourth or fifth at Stafford's senior year. Um, Everybody's thinking Bama's going to win. I mean, Georgia's going to win. Bama's up like 31-0 at the half. Georgia made it respectable. It's 41-30. Blowout at home. Uh, Sanford's emptying out at halftime. The next game was in Atlanta. December 1st, 2012, SEC Championship game. I was there. It was, at the time, the best game I'd ever seen. Georgia 
who had been blown out the year before by LSU in the SEC title game. The East was down. Uh, that was the year the East actually had three really good teams, Florida, South Carolina, and Georgia. The Dogs came out victorious. They were a play away from upsetting Alabama. Uh, I think that was when Gurley and Marshall were freshmen. Gurley had a great game. Uh, Aaron Murray, it was a really good game for him. Throws the ball to Chris Connolly, who falls down and time runs out. Four-point win by Bama, one of the greatest games ever. So then... 2015, toward the end of the I – mean, actually, is the last year of the Mark Richt era. Um, Georgia's undefeated. They're off to a good start. Bama's coming in. They release a hype video that still brings a tear to my eye every time I see it. Um, uh, it's raining in Athens, and Bama just blows them out of the water, 38-10. Not even a game. Just destroys them. I think they blocked a punch of stuff like that. So fast forward to last year, Okay. Again, it's in Atlanta. It, the, the series has not gone back to Tuscaloosa since 07, Mike. Since Saban's first year, since that Independence Bowl champion Crimson Tide team lost in overtime to the Dogs. So it's back in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz. You know, Bama makes a gutsy move pulling two off the bench when they're getting beat and could have lost. Comes back, wins the game in overtime, and at that point, that was the best college football game I've ever seen. And then here we are again in Georgia's capital city, and they're playing again. So, so what I'm what I'm trying to say with all this is, if it were in Athens, I would give Bama a better shot to wipe the floor with their butts than it being in Atlanta, where Georgia and Bama have played two epic football games. Now, also, on the other end of history, Clemson and Bama played two epic football games for the national championship. Then last year in the Sugar Bowl, Bama had had enough, and they thumped them 24-6. So, you know, who knows how it will turn out Saturday, but I think you're absolutely right because when Georgia and Bama play in Atlanta, there's been something special about it. Uh, I don't think Georgia is that much different than they were last year other than missing some guys like Roquan Smith um, and obviously the, the two senior backs that they had. Um, but I think they still have backs, and I think their linebackers are probably not as great, and their defense isn't probably as great, but it's pretty doggone good. Um, and, you know, just like last year, they have one 20-something point loss or 20-point loss on the road to an SEC West team, and that's it. They've won every other game. So they're going to come in confident. There's going to be a lot of dog fans there. So I absolutely agree with you that Georgia does have a shot in this football game. And if they win, I do not think that you leave Alabama out of the playoff. I think that just puts Georgia in. Uh, And I think three teams out of three different conferences will get shut out, uh, as they should, in my opinion. Because I, I don't think that at that point you can realistically say that Ohio State or Oklahoma is better than Alabama or Georgia. I just don't think you can say that um, in that situation. And so it'll be, uh, you know, all three teams that were in last year plus Notre Dame instead of Oklahoma. So basically all those other conferences that still have a chance, believe it or not, they are huge Alabama fans on Saturday. They are roll tied all the way because Georgia winning could do nothing but hurt them at this point in time. I think it'll be very interesting. Again, I think Alabama wins the game, but there's less than a handful of teams in America that actually have a legitimate shot at beating Alabama. And I think Georgia is one of them. 
And so I'm looking forward to that game. It's really, you know, a lot, there's been a lot of talk. Um, uh, was it Wetzel of, uh, Yahoo? Yeah. College football writer. You know, he, he took, uh, he, he wrote a rather quite honestly, obvious column. Um, because this, this thought now is shared by almost everybody who's a fan of college football, which is, wouldn't it be great if we could just eliminate the conference championship games and this would be eight versus one. So for example, Alabama at home at Bryant Denny stadium, uh, against UCF and two versus seven and, and three versus five and uh, excuse me, three versus six and four versus five, et cetera. The top four seats get to play at home. Uh, the other four play on the road and then that leads into goes from eight to four where we are right now. I mean, I, I don't know what fan wouldn't sign up for that, right? I mean, it would be so much better than watching most of the conference championships. But let me tell you the one monkey wrench in all of that. The SEC ain't getting rid of this conference championship game because it is one of the few that generally lives up to the hype. It's sold out before we even know who the teams are every year. It gets ratings and it makes a boatload of money. So you might say, would anybody miss the ACC championship game? Nah. Would anybody miss the PAC 12 championship game? Nah. The big 12 didn't even have a championship game a couple of years ago. And they felt like this extra data point would help their chances into a playoff. It may, it may not this year, um, but you, you're guaranteed a rematch, unlike the SEC and the Big 12, because it's a round robin. Everybody plays everybody, so you're seeing two teams already played against one another. But the one that is not going away, I don't think anytime soon, is the SEC championship game. So I love the idea. It's a great column. We can all write it, and we can all get behind it, but at some point, uh, reality has to set in and that's just not going to happen anytime soon. Well, yeah. I, and look, I, I think too, that, that, and you look at it and, and as fans of college football in general, we would all like to see that. But I also think that college football, as we've talked about on this podcast multiple times, Mike has a parody problem, a growing parody problem in terms of what are you really playing for? You know, the bowls that are out there now, half of them are these uh, group of five matchups that aren't worth a flip that are made for TV because they know people like me and you will watch it. But mm-hmm. what, what does that really mean? You know, well, that means that, you know, Coach A from, you know, whatever school, you know, if he can point to go into a bowl or whatever, he can, you know, maybe parlay that into a power five job, you know. Uh, and I'm thinking maybe Scott Satterfield at App State. Uh you know, so that's good for him. It's good for, uh, you know, Neil Brown to say he's taking Troy to a bowl or, or for even, uh, you know, a program like last year, Georgia State, uh, Sean Elliott in his first year takes them to a bowl game and they win. And, and that's, UAB. Great. that's great for them. I think it's great for the UABs of the world. But most of them are, are non-Power 5 matchups. Then you get into the, the, the bowls like the Gator Bowl and, and the Liberty Bowl and, and whatever bowl you know, the holiday bowl and these bowls that have sort of lost their luster a little bit um, that used to be really good matchups and, and they're just not. And so you get this question of what are you, what do you really, what do you, what means something? Cause it used to mean something to go to the holiday bowl. In fact, the 1984 national championship was decided in the holiday bowl when BYU beat a six and five Michigan team. That's how screwed up it used to be. Yes. But, um, you know, what does it mean these days? You know, and, and I don't know. You know, besides extra practice time and the fact that, you know, there's there's football on the tube over the holidays. 
Um, and there have been some great games. And, and I love the bowls. But, but, but you know, you got to sit there and say, well, the Alabamas and Ohio States and Clemsons and Georgias of the world, they've taken the oxygen out of the room. And I think we're beginning to see that more and more and more. But if you're Pitt, you still want a championship this year. If you're Northwestern, you still won a championship this year. And you're talking about a program in Northwestern that previously their biggest deal was going to the Rose Bowl back in the mid-90s and losing. Okay? That was that was the, the banner year, and, and Pat Fitzgerald was on that team and the Citrus Bowl team the next year. You know, but now Northwestern's got a little something in the in the trophy case. It's a division title. Um, you know, Missouri has two SEC East titles. Uh, we don't think about that, but but they do. Um, and, and so I think that, that that's it, – it, it's a question of access. And I mentioned Utah and what it would mean for that program, which has not been in the national title hunt the whole year or the playoff hunt. What would it mean for them to win the Pac-12 and go to the Rose Bowl? It would mean a ton for that program. Well, I'll go back and say this. It's already meant something to win the division. Now, we do have division champion coaches getting fired out there, like at Colorado. Uh, And so I don't know that it means a ton. But but I do think for certain programs, you know, winning the division sort of of helps, uh, I guess, and and, and gives you more – you know, we always talk about the regular season gives you more to play for. So I, I, I don't know that they'll ever go away um, because I, while I, I do think the matchups are kind of funny this year, I do think it's great for Northwestern and Pitt and Utah as a football program uh, to play for a conference title and to play in the championship game. And I kind of like it. So I, I don't know. Maybe they need to add another round before Christmas. You have your First weekend of December conference championships, then you have a round before Christmas, a round after Christmas, then play the championship game and let's roll. Um, maybe that's what they need to do and then include some more bowl games. But I just – I don't know that doing away with the conference title game um, is ever going to happen broadly, and especially to your point about the SEC. I mean, that thing's so tradition-rich. Uh, I just don't – I don't see it happening. I don't either. Um, I, I, I think there will be a time – where we get to eight, but you have to understand uh, for those that just constantly want to snap their fingers and change things in college football move glacially. Okay. You see how long we had the most embarrassing setup to, to determine a champ and college football for as good as it is basically been a rudderless ship that had no idea how to run things for the longest time. I mean, it's just embarrassing where we've got split poles and, uh, coaches bowl and split champions and just the BCS was supposed to be this answer. And some people to this day want to say, well, they got it right all the time. No, they didn't. They told you who one and two was and you bought it. That doesn't mean they actually had the right one and two. And very often they were trying to get three deserving teams into two, uh, which is certainly worse than getting five into four. Like we do now, the BCS was an absolute disaster. So, I will remind people that are cynical about where we are now. It was much worse. It was much worse, which is why I vowed when the, when the news came that we were finally getting to four. I said this day one, look, it's not my ideal number, but you're not going to hear me bitch and moan about it because for the better part of my lifetime, I have complained about the old way of doing things, then the Bowl Coalition, the Bowl Alliance, the BCS, and every other laughable, embarrassing 
uh, dim-witted way that we determine a national champion in college football. This is the best system we've ever had, and it's not even close. That being said, it's still flawed, and I think most people look at it and say six or eight is an ideal number. The thing is, there's not an NCAA running this like they do the basketball tournament or the baseball World Series or the wrestling championship or the track championship or the swimming championship or the other 88 sports sanctioned by the NCAA. This is run by the conferences, and the conferences are all about what? Money. Where does the most money come from? It's not ticket sales. It's television, and we have TV contracts in place, and those things don't get busted up easily. So when people say, well, certainly another round of playoffs would make a lot of money, of course it would, but you, it, it's not just they're not just going to tear up the contracts in place and have addendums that say we're going to go from four to eight. So just don't. Don't waste too much time in the next few years coming up with different formulas and whatnot because it's just not going to happen in the next couple of years. So enjoy what we have. Move on. Like you said, conference championship games, they're not going anywhere either because they're money makers. So that's not changing anytime soon. The SEC is not going to a nine-game conference schedule anytime soon. I mean, hear all these things complain about it. And, 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 you have to realize at some point what is doable and what is not doable. And in the near future, none of those things are going to change. So that's just a little point of reality because I hear so much misinformation out there from people that generally don't really follow college football. I'm talking about your national talk show hosts, (laughs) be it on TV or radio, but then they decide this time of year, they need to parachute in and have a hot take and act like they know what the hell they're talking about. And they're utterly freaking clueless. No names necessary you know who they are. So with that being said, we've got this thing coming up. It's going to be a little bit of controversy over number four, no matter what, it could be a lot of controversy. If Georgia upends Alabama, I can't wait for the sec championship game in Atlanta, four o'clock Eastern time. I watch it every year. It's going to be a lot of fun and we'll see who gets that number four slot. All right. Before we continue, do you want to mention BP Skinner clothiers.com or proud uh, sponsors, one of the proud sponsors here of the JC and Morgan podcast. Uh, if you want to go ahead and get your custom made clothing for the holidays, what a great present for you or a loved one. And here's the best part. You don't have to go in line at a shopping mall and try to find a parking space and deal with a bunch of just bad people during the holidays. Sometimes the holidays brings the worst out of people. If you've ever been to a shopping mall, you know what I'm talking about. Don't go into a, a typical chain store to get your next suit, your shirt, Forget about the fact that the quality is better with Brent Skinner. The convenience is better because he'll come to you. Go ahead and go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Give him a call. Set up an appointment. He will come out to you. Shipping is free. Prices are right. Clothing is second to none, and it will fit you to a T, as it does for me, for Marty Smith of ESPN, for a number of coaches, players, business people all over the world. He's got them covered. He'll have you covered, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store custom closet sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. Jess, it's happening. 
Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. All right, he's J.C. Sherbert, 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan, ESPN, SEC Network. We do have some hard news today, J.C. I think it's going to be a boring year in terms of um, coaching carousel. We had the, I mean, last year, well, Tennessee alone was a 30 for 30, but we had a, a record amount of changes in the SEC. I don't think we're going to have a single one. Derek Mason, I think, put any uh, potential of him being replaced at Vanderbilt to rest, and I'm not sure if that, that would have happened anyway. But by beating Tennessee again and getting to a bowl game again, he's out there dancing and celebrating a 6-6 six and six season. Hey, God love you. Go for it. He's not going anywhere. And I think, I think Barry Odom's staying at Missouri. So we're going to have 14 for 14, as I can see it, in the SEC. There's some Auburn drama that we'll get to later. There's always some Auburn drama, right? Yeah, but, but Gus is not going anywhere. I, I think that's a that's a that's a pretty safe bet right now. I, I do think that um, there are a lot of whispers out there about the National Football League in terms of what the Dallas Cowboys are going to ultimately do. That is a franchise that is obviously a mover and a shaker, and money is never an object for Jerry Jones. Um, so I'll just I'll just toss that out there and leave it at that. Um, I also think that, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, Derek Mason has done it, did a great job at Vanderbilt this year yet again. He surprised me yet again. Uh, did have a senior quarterback. They got off to a bad start. You were at the Tennessee State game covering that for the SEC Network. They barely survived. Right. Um, you know, South Carolina whipped them pretty good. Um, and then all of a sudden, ah, you know, they go beat Arkansas on the road. They have an overtime win against Ole Miss. And then they just demolished Tennessee. And I'm going to say this. I blame that loss on Butch Jones and, and, and the, the players he recruited into that program. Because I'll say this. You know, they'll get all up to go play Auburn on the road, beat their chest, run around, talk about how the Vols are back, talk about how they have pride and all that good stuff. And a lot of these guys are four- and five-star players you know, that have the talent. Um. You know, they'll go play South Carolina off their feet. They'll never quit against Alabama, you know, and run around and, and talk smack and, you know, talk about how good they are or against Georgia or whoever. And then they play at home against Missouri and get waxed 50 to 17. Okay. So now you got a chance to go and, and end what has been an embarrassing streak for Tennessee against Vanderbilt. They'd lost four of six in that series coming in. Tennessee, top to bottom, is a more talented football team than, than Vanderbilt. Um, and that's not just my opinion. That's a fact if you're just talking about raw talent. And they went into that game and rolled over and quit and got blown out. Um, and that would have meant so much for Pruitt and his building job. Yeah, maybe it doesn't improve your draft stock, you know, if you're getting out of there. Maybe that doesn't help you individually, but it helps the program that you've been a part of for however many years. And I think that's been the problem was the problem at Tennessee under Butch Jones and continues to be the problem and will be until Pruitt changes that culture. You're going to have players and guys that can play ball when they want to, but they don't always want to. And that happened in that game. They just quit. I mean, and, and, and it, was, it was a win 
you know, you don't think of a win over Vandy if you're Tennessee would have meant so much. That would have meant a ton. Because then all of a sudden, hey, you've snapped an ugly streak. Uh, you're going to a bowl game. You get the extra practice. The building the building job looks right on schedule. Now you're the only SEC East team not to go bowling. You're the worst team in the division. And you may be for the foreseeable future until it gets better. So I, I, I was disappointed in Tennessee's uh, effort in, in that football game, and I think that's just another example of why it's going to take Pruitt time. Now for Vanderbilt, that's great. Um, good job by Derek Mason. Uh, anytime you could beat Tennessee and go to a bowl game at Vanderbilt University, I think you're doing a good job. Um, you know, and, and and I think now that he's got two bowl appearances and all that, and yeah, he hadn't won nine back to back like James Franklin did, but hey, he's won some games, and and, and every year they have a game where they kind of surprise me. So, hats off to Derek Mason and Vandy for winning that game. Now, Barry Odom, let's look at what he actually did this year. They went eight and four, okay? They lost to what was the number one and the number two team in the country when they played them in Alabama and Georgia. And then they lost two games on the last play to Kentucky and South Carolina. That's it. Mm. So Missouri's resume is pretty doggone good. They're talking about them maybe going to the Gator Bowl. I think, you know, probably that would – you know, just by what they've done on the field, they probably deserve it, and they could end up with nine wins, which I think is a hell of a send-off for Drew Locke. Now, what's going to happen as we move forward? Who knows? But I think that they, with the turnaround last year and then the season they had this year, Barry Odom bought himself some time and avoided um, sort of an instant implosion. Um, and now, you know, he uh, he looks like he's got a group that um, – you know, is at least trending in the right direction for now. Like I said, we'll see what happens when they lose Locke and, you know, moving forward. But I, I, I think they did a heck of a job this year. Derek Dooley did a heck of a job. Uh, and their defense ended up being pretty good when all was said and done. So, so hats off to Missouri. And, you know, I think Mark Stoops was a guy we mentioned too. And, boy, he's had a great year as well. So, um, Mark good, Stoops good is my SEC coach of the year, by the way. We yeah. never had a chance to get to that Has last to be. week. Yeah. I, I know there's a lot of different candidates that have been tossed out there this year. Uh, to me, it's not even that close. Mark Stoops has a chance to have a 10-win season at Kentucky. I mean, come on. Um, and and from, on top of that, I mean, he's he's given Kentucky fans reason to believe there's hope in the sport of football. You know, I I, I think Mark Stoops is your SEC Coach of the Year. All 14 coaches in the league are going to be retained, which is rare in this day and age of hiring coaches to be fired. Um, so, yeah, it'll be pretty non-plus there. Now, there was some – you mentioned McIntyre, Colorado. Uh, Southern Cal announcing they're going to stay. They're going to stay with their coach, Lynn Swan. And it's still hard for me to believe Lynn Swan is the AD. Um, hell of a player. But, uh, but you know, I mean, they, they, they like – they they like Coach Helton and they, I, yeah. I like Coach Helton too. I, I I hope he turns it around out there. Um, I felt bad for T. Martin getting the the axe because I think he's a hell of a coach as well. Um, but they have to make some staff changes, and it's good to be in the Helton family because Tyson Helton, who was the OC yeah. in Tennessee, uh, goes back to Western Kentucky and gets that head coaching job. So I, I think that um, you know if you're if you're SC. I think you got to give Helton one more year. He's got JT Daniel coming back at quarterback. They got to find a new plan on offense. 
And if it if it the results are similar, I think you got to clean house, blow the whole thing up, including Lynn Swan, and start over. Yeah, uh, if you're that administration, because the dynamics are changing. You have Chip Kelly at UCLA. Okay, Chip Kelly is not out blowing it up on the recruiting trail. That's actually Chip Kelly's former school, the Oregon Ducks, and Mario Cristobal. They have twelve of the top players in Los Angeles committed. Okay, which is strange. Um, but you do have Chip Kelly at UCLA who beat you this year, by the way, um, and who got the Bruins better and better and better, who will win games there. All right. You have the Chargers and the Rams in town now. So let's go back to the Pete Carroll era when Reggie Bush and Mike Williams and Matt Leinart and all those guys were playing. Mike, uh, what? where did you go if you're a celebrity and you wanted to watch a little foosball? You went to the L.A. Coliseum sure. on a Saturday night with Will, Willie Farrell and your boys and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, and you watched the Trojans. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so going, you know, the attractiveness of Hollywood and all that and being the team in Los Angeles, boy, that, that not only resonated with California kids, that resonated nationally. And that's, that was one of the reasons they were up there. I mean, they were rolling. And it got cut. They were the pro team yeah. in that market. And it got cut. Well, now it's not like that anymore. All of a sudden, you see UCLA with a great coach. Um, and UCLA does get support for football. It's like Kentucky. Um, you know, and, and, and then you look over and you see all of a sudden the, the Rams could, go the, could win the Super Bowl this year. Okay? The Chargers are somewhat promising, although I still hate that they left San Diego. Um, you actually have the Raiders moving closer. The Raiders will now, I I don't know if it's closer, probably about an hour and a half closer across the desert to Las Vegas soon. And all of a sudden, you know, you got Kobe playing for the Lake. I mean, I'm sorry. You got LeBron playing for the Lakers now. Okay. So entertainment dollar wise, there's just more in LA now than there used to be. Um, And um, I I think that that, that caught, that takes some of the luster out of their ability to, to attract players. And if they are losing, there is a chance this program, as much as we thought it was back in the mid-2000s, Mike, this program could go back in the wilderness like it was for years and years and years between the uh, you know, Marcus Allen era all the way up through when Pete Carroll got it going again. Southern California, may, to quote the late great Keith Jackson, uh, may go back to the wilderness. I uh, certainly agree, and I, I think that the Pac-12 desperately, to, to circle back to that point, desperately needs Southern Cal to be a power again. And you could even make the argument college football needs that. You know, at some point, the two best teams uh, in, in college football in on the left coast, them and Southern Cal, right? I mean, what are we talking here? We're talking Washington has been consistent. Um since Peterson got there, yeah. Since Peterson got there, for a while there was Oregon. Uh, yeah, but they built Oregon over time. Started with Rich Brooks. Mike Bellotti raised it a level, right? And then but, and then Chip Kelly, who was Mike Bellotti's OC, came in yeah. there and and just and and, and just uh, made it what it was. And then Helfrich kind of was the Larry Coker. He was exactly the Larry Coker. And then, you know, Stanford's always good, but never quite good enough. And so it's just, you, you have to have Southern Cal. And there's no reason for Southern Cal to not be good, even with the invasion of pro teams now back in the market. Southern Cal should be good, should be better. And uh, you're right. Next year, 
it's make or break for Helton. I mean, that hot seat talk is going to, is going to start from the opening kick. And after every loss, it's going to be toxic. And then by the end of the year, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Our one guy that we know that is out is Paul Johnson. <laughs> Paul Johnson um, <laughs> announcing his retirement. Ooh, Lordy. Um, you know, last week we were talking Georgia, Georgia Tech, and and you probably could uh, uh, tell by my tone. I, I even though I I'm in Atlanta, I don't I didn't get a whole lot of interest in the game because I just felt like as long as Paul John, Paul has got a couple wins against Georgia, particularly when Kirby first got the job, and then when Mark Richt was. Uh, when he was fading a little bit, but for the most part, I just have no faith in Paul Johnson to win games against motivated teams that are good. And that's what he ran into on Saturday. And and the the rivalry of Georgia, Georgia tech doesn't resonate in this town and Georgia tech football hasn't resonated for a while. And I, let me just say this because I've been critical of Paul Johnson a number of times on this podcast. Paul Johnson did an outstanding job at Georgia Southern, did an outstanding job at Navy. Uh, the man is the master of the option and so on and so forth. If you ask me the question, did that experiment work at, at Georgia Tech? I would tell you no. It wasn't an abject failure. There were some high moments. Now, the, the highest moment, of course, was vacated by the NCAA and the ACC. We won't get back into that whole thing, but... There were, there were some good moments, and he's always good for an upset a year. But for the most part, I've never seen the apathy this high. And Atlanta is a town that is Georgia first, Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, Florida State second, Braves, Falcons third, and then somewhere is Georgia Tech takes place in the pantheon of sports here. So it's always going to be a tough job. Okay. But I thought his offense and his overall just, I mean, there's no sizzle in that you're getting all steak and it ain't prime. It's not waffle house, but it ain't prime. It's, it may be something like a golden corral, which is a fine place to take a date. If you really love her. Um, but there's just no, there's no oomph in this program for the last few years. And so I know a lot of Georgia tech alums. I know a lot of Georgia tech football players or former football players. I've worked with a couple and I can tell you this. No one has ever wanted to say a bad thing about Paul Johnson. He's a good man, but deep down you read the body language when you mention the name and they're all like, we need a change. (laughs) It was obvious they were ready for a change. So whether or not he was pushed out or kind of coerced out or he saw the signs or maybe he was just burnt out, even though he's not that old, quite frankly, much younger than Nick Saban is. uh, This is news that this is not going to be like this great grand parade for Paul Johnson's exit into retirement. Georgia Tech now needs to turn the corner. And I've heard all the excuses as to why they can't be better and why it isn't as good a job as a lot of people think it is. But I think Georgia Tech can get somebody who can get some enthusiasm injected back into this program, and it desperately, desperately needs it. Um, yeah, it's, it's hogwash that the Georgia Tech can't be good. Um, I, and, and I know, you know, from living here as well, and I just kind of have my, my um, pulse on things as far as that goes, and used to cover Georgia Tech and some things like that. 
that, that no, it doesn't resonate in Atlanta, but there are tech fans and, and they, they are good fans and that stadium's loud when they fill it up. And, and even when they just have it sort of kind of full, I mean, it's a big loud stadium and somehow down there in the neighborhood that university's in, uh, in down smack dab in downtown Atlanta, they have a great college football atmosphere and tradition. They've won national championships at Georgia tech, including one in 1990, um, where, uh, Probably the new system would have, you know, bounced them out maybe that season. But keep in mind, a one-loss and one-tie Colorado team, for whatever reason, was voted over them in the – I mean, I don't know. So, um, you know, we, we will see what happens. And here, here's the thing, too. Georgia Tech is not in the Southeastern Conference anymore. They left that league in the 60s. And, yeah, you have to compete against SEC schools. And, yeah, uh, your choices of majors – um, are not as, uh, let's say, eclectic as some of the people you recruit against. And it is a harder school academically. You have uh, to know math. You yeah, have you to have know to, math. You have to be a math guy. But I, I don't think that that's something, when you look at the players that have come through there in the past, you look at where they're located, uh, you, you look at the, they are in the state of Georgia, um, and you look at their access to – and remember, I was talking about how great it was for Pitt to win the Coastal Division. Well, that just so happens to be the most dysfunctional division uh, in college football because you have a bunch of programs there that they go up and down like the tides. Miami is probably the best team in that division this year, top to bottom. They went 7-5 and five and lost to Duke and Pitt and Virginia. I mean, and that's just the nature of the Coastal Division. You had Virginia Tech on a dominant run for a while, but now the Hokies are kind of right there and and a lot of craziness in Blacksburg uh, Friday night. But uh, I I just – I think that Georgia Tech geographically and tradition-wise is set up to have a good run. Unfortunately, whoever takes that job, because I don't think Paul Johnson was too interested in blue-chip recruits, uh, working to kind of beat other schools on blue chip recruits. Uh, I think he was like, give me a receiver that's tall, that can run down the field and catch streaks. Give me an option quarterback and, and some good running backs and undersized linemen that can cut block. And I don't give a crap what else we recruit. And so the talent level at Georgia Tech, when you're not running that system, Mike, is going to be difficult to deal with, even in the ACC Coastal. It's a, I think it's a... Sunbelt level roster right now, top to bottom, maybe a little higher. Um, and so whoever takes that job, you know, they're talking about Ken Wisenhunt, who I think is a hell of a football coach. If you look at what he did with the Cardinals and in the NFL, and he's a tech alum and all that. But Ken Wisenhunt's going to have a hard time getting that thing going with what he likes to do. Now, let's say this craziness with Gus Malzahn comes to a head, Malzahn's out at Auburn, hire him immediately if you're Georgia Tech and you have a chance to win within three years because of style of play. I think that a lot of times style of play is not important. But I think in this situation with this roster, whoever gets it and takes it over, uh, you know, because you can't even go junior college heavy at Georgia Tech. I mean, the last junior college player at Tech I can remember is our buddy Tom Luganville. <laughs> remember Lugs? You know? Sure. Um, 
Absolutely. Or, or did he come from? Yeah, he came from junior college and then went to Eastern Kentucky. But did, yeah, it, that was a whole other. Uh, yeah, a that got a little messy. <laughs> a diff, different era then, but um, you know, I, I uh, you know, you can't, you can't, it's not really a quick fix um, when you're kind of deciding what to do. But I, I do think it is a good job, and, and I've talked to some coaches. Um, Tony Elliott, the co-offensive coordinator at Clemson, is being mentioned as a candidate in addition to Wisenhunt. Um, was told by some people, you know, before this past weekend even that there have been other schools that have kind of sniffed around about him, but he's kind of resigned to the fact that, you know, he wants to coach in either Georgia or South Carolina or North Carolina or Virginia. Well, Georgia Tech is a power five job in the state of Georgia. It's one of only two. Um, and so I think that uh, I think that would be an attractive opening uh, for a lot of people, but it is going to take some time because of just how entrenched Paul John, I mean, you're coming off 11 years of Paul Johnson. So yeah. he's been entrenched there for a while, but, but in that division, uh, heck anything can happen because like I said, teams go up, teams go down and Georgia tech's been just as successful at winning and getting to the game as anybody. Bobby Ross, Chan Gailey, George O'Leary all show. You can, you can have some high moments at Georgia tech. Um, and I think you can do it without a gimmicky antiquated sorry my dog baxter just spotted the dog on tv and thought he would go ahead and bark bax it's a television it's not actually a dog um they all prove that you can win you can do it you don't have to have a gimmicky uh offense which is antiquated and nobody wants to watch and very few skilled players want to participate in so i i think right off the bat people will be excited about whoever the hire is uh, and, and I think there, it'll be attractive to some. There are a number of names we already talked about, and there'll be other names that come out. Uh, you know, with, with um, the AD, Todd Stansbury, I don't know a whole lot about his track record. That's the third AD Georgia Tech's had in about five years. I mean, it's been for a while there. The program was a, a rudderless ship of its own because ADs were, you know, Dan Radakovich left for a better job at Clemson, but Binsky left for what he considered a better job. And now you've got Todd Stansbury, um, so this, this program has just kind of been all over the place with football and basketball. Now I, I, I think they're on solid ground. I think they'll bring in a, a quality coach. They've got money. Uh, they, the ACC is about to launch the ACC network. That'll be more money in the coffers for every ACC school. Uh, there's no reason why they can't pony up and show a commitment to, to college football and get people excited again. Cause you're right. Bobby Dodd stadium can get loud. And there are a lot of Georgia tech fans that love Georgia tech. Uh, but they just, I just felt an overwhelming sense of apathy around that program under Paul Johnson the last few years that I haven't seen in a while. So be very curious to see who that, uh, who they wind up hiring. Yeah. Uh, sticking in that division, we do have our first hire. <laughs> to, well, I mean, first significant hire, I, um, congratulations to Jake Spavadol, the offensive coordinator at Vir- uh, West Virginia, who's the Texas state head coach. Uh, and Mike Houston from James Madison, who got the Charlotte job. But up the road from Charlotte, um, they're going back to the future, Mike, as Mac Brown was yeah. named the new head coach at the University of North. Sally and I are very happy to be back at uh, the University of North Carolina and in Chapel Hill. You know, Sally told me that we could go to the Bahamas, we could go to Hawaii, or we could go to Chapel Hill. Yeah. Anyway, Mac Brown's back in the game. Yeah, I, I saw that, and um, <laughs> and, uh, and somebody asked me about that this morning, and, and and I know I'm supposed to have a strong 
take on this, but I really don't. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the worst. Considering, what is he, 67? Mm-hmm. Um, considering where North Carolina is, and North Carolina has been somewhat of a dumpster fire with, with all the off the field situations on the field. It's been bad. Um, they've, they've cycled through. It seems like a lot of coaches since Mac Brown has been there. I don't know what the exact total is, but I think this is not as crazy maybe as it seems like on the surface. Like, first of all, if you're North Carolina, you're, you're not getting, I mean, you're not getting a marquee name. Okay. You're going to get some of the same guys that are, are looking at, uh, Georgia tech. You know, I, th- I think that the two jobs can be analogous in terms of prestige right now or lack thereof. Uh, so here's a guy that is going to give the fan base a reminder of how good it was and can be, uh, his track record in North Carolina was terrific. Uh, the ACC is a different animal now, although this year <laughs> it's probably worse. But uh, look, I I don't think it's too crazy. I have no idea if it's going to work. That's what I'm trying to say is I have no freaking idea if this is going to work. But sometimes you do have to think outside the box a little bit. He did. He do, he is a charming son of a gun. I've met him at a couple of Big Twelve media days. You talk to Mac Brown for 20 minutes and you'll love the guy and he hasn't lost his zest for, for wanting to coach. So you, you give it a shot. If in three years you don't get what you want, you move on to the next guy. But uh, I don't think it's as bad a hire probably as some people do. You know, people mock the hire of Herman Ed- of Herm Edwards at Arizona state. And yeah. you could say it kind of worked this year, right? I mean, they're going to, they're going to uh, get into a bowl game. Um, this to me is much more safe than the Herm Edwards hire. Herm Edwards hadn't done anything in coaching in 20 years. So I, I'm okay with the hire. I have no idea if it's going to work. I don't know what's realistic for North Carolina in the near future. I think it's going to be a little bit of a, a, a rebuild situation for sure. But he did a lot of good things there the first time. He did a lot of good things at Texas, even though it did not end well. So I wish him luck. I mean, the whole thing, we, we talked about this with Petrino got fired, though. I mean, you, you do have – the the people whose second tenure is not necessarily worked out, um, you know Bill Snyder at Kansas State maybe a guy who, you know during the the, the illustrious Ron Prince era K State dropped off the face of the earth but they did beat Texas somehow, um, and then he came back and sort of got him back together and had some he's had some good years but now that's not they're not going to end where they got he got them to. The guy that I thought has had the best second time around of anybody is Mike Riley at Oregon State. Right. Uh, he goes back to Oregon State, gets them competitive again, um, and then goes to the Nebraska job, and he's fired within two years. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, and then Petrino had some success at Louisville the second time around, coached a Heisman Trophy winner, then the bottom fell out. So th- there's just not a lot of examples Um you know, is this going to be like Bill Snyder where there's one guy that knows the secret sauce to winning at North Carolina? Um, I don't think that's the case because, you know, Dick Crum had some really good teams at North Carolina, uh, you know, over the years, I, I thought. Uh, and, uh, you know, really good before Mac and Mac kind of, you know, built it back. But, I mean, or is it going to end up like Johnny Majors when he went back to Pitt? 
Mm-hmm. You know, majors forced out at Tennessee, wants to coach again, kind of rambles around a little bit, goes back to Pitt, and it was a disaster. Um, so, so, so how is it going to end? I do will say, and I was laughing. I was kind of laughing at my impression of him, basically. I, I, I want to make it clear, I wasn't laughing at Matt Brown. I have a lot of respect for him as a coach and a human being um, and do think he's a likable guy. And I, I think he's going to make things problematic for, you know, a school like NC State that's really loading up on in-state talent right now because UNC's down and some other schools are down. I think, I think he's going to win some recruiting battles in that state. There is talent in that state. Tar Heel fans will show up some of the time. And, you know, he's got a big opener. Uh, his first game will be in Charlotte against South Carolina in 2019. Um, and so that'll be a pretty good, uh, you know, high-profile opener for him. But, I mean, look, this program at UNC, there's been a lot. I mean, you're talking about a school where Lawrence Taylor played, Mike. Yeah, I remember. I mean, you know, Dre Bly from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mitch Trubisky. Played at North. I mean, there they he sure there, did. There has been a lot of talent that that, that that has played at the University of North Carolina. And, and his team, his best two teams those last two years, they were loaded with NFL guys on oh, defense. God. Yeah, they just couldn't get past Florida State in, right. in the ACC. They're just uh, they lost at home on the road, whatever. Those were those great Bobby Bowden teams. But since Brown left, here, here's how North Carolina has fared in the wilderness. Carl Tor- oh, I was going. <laughs> you stole my thunder. Go ahead, Carl Torbush. Yes, 17 and 18. John Bunting. I did a high school football game with him on ESPN, 27 and 45. It looked like he should have been like a, a PE coach on a sitcom. He had that look. <laughs> kind of had an Andy Reid look going, but didn't, didn't really coach <laughs> like Andy Reid. Uh, I thought the Butch Davis hire was outstanding. I thought with the way he recruited – Almost too well <laughs> at the time. Yes. They they got some they got a kid out of South Carolina, Robert Quinn, who was a first round draft pick. Mm-hmm. Uh he had that roster getting there. I mean they, twelve and twenty three. They were getting there. Yeah, twelve and twenty three, and then got fired under a cloud of controversy. Um so then Everett Withers takes over for a year. <laughs> um and, and then they bring in Larry Larry Fedora, who Different style of play. The, so, so they've gone all the direct from big name to up and comer to NFL assistant. That's a North Carolina guy in Bunting to the the top assistant, and they called him NASCARL, Carl Torbush. Uh, you know, to Larry Fedora, <laughs> and, and so they've tried everything, and and they can't get traction. And you know, I, I think everybody around Tar Heel Land was like, well, you know what, we're two and nine. Fedora didn't work out. None of these guys worked out. Let's just go hire Mac and see what the hell happens. And, yeah. and, and, and I think, again, in that division, anything can happen. You know what it would be like? It'd be like, it'd be like if Tennessee, instead of hiring, hiring him as the AD, actually hired Phil Fulmer again as their head coach. Yeah. And, and, and just like, you know, hey, if nothing else, it's going to give you the warm and fuzzies. It's going to take you to a place that you – you remember was a good time in the program. It's going to give you a guy that is beloved, who knows the program inside and out, who can help in fundraising and, and and just raising morale for a little bit. Whether or not it actually translates to wins and losses. By the way, Fedora was forty three and thirty four, which was actually better than the other guys we talked about. Um, I don't know. I just don't know. But I don't think it's the worst hire in the world. Like it, I. I understand the rationale here that based on the timing and everything else, 
I get it. So uh, good luck to him. I will say this. Uh, I will quote Thomas Wolf, who is from Asheville, North Carolina, home of Roy Daggum Williams. You can't go home again. Mm. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. Very well. And uh, we'll leave it with some predictions here. Okay. We, we, <laughs> we talked about the playoff. Uh, let's, let's get into the championship week first here. Utah, Washington. Who do you like? I am going to, I'm going to go with, um, the sim, it'll be a semi upset. I think I'm going to go with the Utes. I think that, I mean, playing for the Rose bowl, both teams should be fired up, but I'm, I'm going to go with the Utes. I think Washington played its butt off last week. Great game plan by Chris Peterson and his staff, by the way. But, uh, I'm going to go with the Utes in a slight upset and, um, you know they can uh, they can play in in the Rose Bowl and uh, to my ex girlfriend out there, Angie. If you're listening, I know you're a Tennessee fan now, but I also know you're a graduate of Utah. So I hope your Utes win this weekend, honey, because Tennessee's not playing. That's definitely an X factor there. I'll go with Utah as well, based on my love for Kyle Whittingham. Uh, <laughs> Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, you know I love Tom Herman in big games. I don't necessarily like him in, in games that aren't so big, like against Maryland and Oklahoma State. But I like him in big games. But I, I tell you, it's going to be awfully hard uh, to beat the Sooners twice. Um, I think there will be a lot of emotion in this football game. I just don't think Texas is ready uh, to go beat uh, OU twice in a season. I think, I think that once was enough. Uh, Oklahoma will probably win, I think, by 10 points. But I think it's good. You know, like I said, it's good to get there. I think it's good for Texas to get there this year. Kyler Murray, I will be watching you. I've got a Heisman ballot in my hand. I've had one guy that's been penciled in, keyword being pencil, not pen, for a long time now. But I, unlike some Heisman voters, I wait till the very end. I want every piece of data. Uh, I'm okay with changing my vote. I have no bias. I'm okay with admitting I was wrong a month ago. I'm watching you, Kyler. So show up, show big. They don't play defense in that conference anyway, so I'm taking Oklahoma in a rematch. By the way, speaking of no defense, Clemson Pitt. All right, we're both taking Pitt. The only excuse me, Clemson. <laughs> yeah. We're both taking Pitt. Uh, whoa, Mike. Yeah, yeah. The only question is whether or not Clemson covers the 27 and a half. Okay, so the Big 12 gets dogged and justifiably so for playing no defense, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a stat of the day. Okay, Here, here's what I'm going to tie, uh, put a bow on this whole thing with. Big 12 has seven defense, seven of the 10 teams in their league, seven defenses ranked 65th or worst in the country. Seven, 65th or worst. You know, there's only 64 teams that are in the power five for crying out loud. But there is a conference that is worse. Your beloved ACC has 10 defenses ranked 65th or worst. So the Big 12 can pound its chest and say, ha, the ACC has three defenses worse than we have. Of course, they got four more teams, too. But anyway, there's a little stat for you. All right, we're both picking Clemson. Let's move on to a a relevant game. And and, and Clemson's defense, I do think, after last week is a concern. The only question is, you know, I I thought South Carolina was the best offense at the time they played them that they played this year. I don't think Clemson's played anybody, and I don't think they will be tested again till the semis. Maybe not even till Alabama, but um, I don't think it's a talent issue. So, Tiger fans, I, I still think you got eleven starters that are going to play in the NFL, despite what happened last week. By the way, quick aside on that game: Jake Bentley has showed out uh, over five hundred yards. 
throwing touchdown passes all over the place. Not sure how he wasn't SEC Offensive Player of the Week. You don't have to win the game to win that award. He clearly had the best week, and he was terrific for the last five, six games. That offense gives the Gamecocks a lot of hope for next year. Will Muschamp's just got to get some athletes on defense and, and get, it, uh, get them there quickly. Um, Northwestern Ohio State. Got to go Buckeyes, right? Yeah, I'm going to go Buckeyes. I, th- I think they're kind of in the zone now. I, I, you know, Northwestern's a gritty football team who's going to play, I think, tough. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, you, you've got Ohio State who's used to being on that stage, um, who's performed well on big stages. Um, Northwestern, maybe Hatton. I mean, if there's a coach that can pull it off, it's Pat Fitzgerald. But I just think, I, I think the Buckeyes are playing, you know, in spite of their defense. I think their offense, Haskins in particular, like you mentioned, Mike, is playing at a high level right now. He's very accurate, even in the Maryland game and especially last week. So I'm, I'm going to go Buckeyes in that one. And, and almost any other year, Haskins would be your Heisman leader. I mean, look at his numbers and look at what he's done in some big games this year. Their problem has not been Haskins. He's been phenomenal. Uh, in, a, in a year where you don't have Tua and Kyler Murray, Haskins could very well be bringing home a Heisman trophy, but uh, I think he certainly deserves a trip to New York. Uh, All right. Rapid fire here. UCF Memphis. UCF doesn't have their quarterback. I hate to see that to McKenzie. Uh, Memphis has the best running back in the country, at least statistically. Who are you going with? I'm going to go with Memphis to pull the upset. Mike Norvell, watch his name for some of these jobs. You know, I thought he may get one of the SEC jobs last year at Arkansas or Ole Miss, but uh, watch him as a hot coaching commodity. Um, I thought UCF did a good job rallying and, and sort of beating down USF last week, but I think Memphis is a different animal, and uh, I, I think the Tigers pull the upset and win, and then we don't have to hear about UCF for weeks and weeks. <laughs> I'm with you on both fronts. Uh, I, I thought Mike Norvell would get a job last year. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get a good offer this year. And remember, Memphis, they'll tell you they should have won the first meeting between these two teams this year. They wound up a huge comeback by UCF in the second half. UCF squeaked it out. That was with their starting quarterback. Uh, and of course, uh, the game that everybody is waiting on pins and needles for, we go to the mountain West Fresno state, Boise state. When these two teams meet JC, you can throw away the records. It's, it's just a natural born hated rivalry. Uh, brothers and sisters won't talk to each other over this Fresno state, Boise state. Who do you like? I'm, I'm going to go Boise state. I, I think that, you know, they're just awfully consistent in the mountain West. And you know, if, if uh, UCF goes down, I think that uh, according to the polls, the winner of this Mountain West Championship game will get that uh, New Year's Six bowl berth. Yeah, and how about not, that? And not the Knights. So Fiesta Bowl, get ready for a bunch of uh, Boise State Bronco fans or hundreds of uh, Fresno State fans. <laughs> oh, how dare you impugn the Fresno State fan base. Uh, I'm going with the Blue Turfers as well. Georgia, Alabama. Again, to me, George is one of the few teams that could pull it off, but I got to go Alabama. I'm going to go Alabama, too, and I'm not sure that we'll have the classic games like we have, you know, like I went through earlier the last two times they played in Atlanta. I just – I think Alabama's just at a different level this year, and when they go vertical and two is on, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's very, very hard uh, to get them stopped, and, and if you happen to stop that, then they go four deep at running back and have a really good offensive line. I, I just think Alabama's too much offensively uh, in this football game. But, you know, heck, if it's another classic, I'm not going to complain, but uh, I would have to pick Alabama. 
All right. And to reiterate my, my prediction on the college football playoff, when the 13 people go into that room and uh, agonize over who that number four team is going to be, I'm going Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and yes, Ohio State. I, I'm going to go Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and uh, and Oklahoma for the reasons I said. That's my prediction. That's not what I feel like should happen, but that's what I'm going to predict. Uh, you know, if all if things hold serve, but you know, watch us have a slew of upsets, and then we won't know what the heck's <laughs> going on. Well, it's been a very ho hum season. Uh, maybe Mount St. Helens finally erupts <laughs> this Saturday and just ruins uh, everything, and the committee actually has to do a little more homework. JC, for those that haven't already been involved, uh, part of the cast of thousands that enjoy this podcast each and every week, tell the folks how they can do it. Uh, I would go look on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcast. If you have an iPhone, iPad, iMac, MacBook, whatever, um, you can go to Apple Podcast. Just hit that subscribe button. Uh, it'll send you a little notification each and every time we have an episode. If you're an Android user, like some people, um, you can go to Google Play and uh, get it there. Also, any kind of podcasting app, Stitcher, Podcast Mania, uh, you know, Podbean, I think we saw, I saw it on. Uh, there, It's all over the place because it takes the feed off of iTunes or Google Play and just distributes it. Also, we're distributed each and every week on 24-7 Sports. Uh, if you haven't checked out that particular sports network, feel free to do so. Lots of specials on VIP memberships plus a load of free content that you don't have to pay to read on 24-7 Sports. Well said. Our thanks, as always, to our many sponsors, including Brent Skinner, BPSkinnerClothiers.com. Get your holiday shopping done right. Take care of a loved one or take care of yourself. Make sure you look your very best. JC should be a lot of fun to, uh, next week to talk about a, another playoff. It'll be the fifth of its kind that we'll be getting ready for, plus a lot of other bowl games. We'll break it all down again. We do it each and every week, not only during the season, but the off season. Cause as we know, for those that love college football, you love it 52 weeks out of the year. So we are here 52 weeks out of the year for JC Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. We'll see you next time on the JC and Morgan podcast. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped Striped. boat neck sweaters. Sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. Sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from.